Good morning, everyone. We are delighted to have you here for worship. Uh, please remember to fill out the um, fellowship pads at the end of the pew for everyone to sign. And uh, if you wish to have a Stephen minister confidentially, the Stephen minister on, du- on duty today is uh, Barb Smith. <laughs> We do have an announcement from uh, Pam Tyler, if Pam would come forward. Morning, everybody. Um, I'm Pam Tyler, and um, since my husband is sharing God's word with you all today, I thought this would be a great opportunity for me to tell you about our Bible study, Not So Basic Bible which meets on Monday nights starting September the 8th at 7.30 at our home in Renfield. And this year, we're going to be studying the book of Acts. Now, most of us are familiar with um, the books of the, or the stories in the Gospels about the life of Christ. And we sort of end things with his ascension. But did you realize that when the Gospels end, you're only halfway through the story? There's a whole nother book in the Bible after the Gospels, and it's the book of Acts. And it's about what happened, all the things that happened after Christ ascended. And I want to tell you that it's no goody-two-shoes story about the life of early Christian church. It's about the power of God in action. And it's the same power of God that is available to us today. So join us for... A Journey Through the Acts, starting Monday nights, September the 8th. Thanks. Thank you, Pam. And now Carrie has an announcement for us. I'm going to invite Joelle Truax to come up this morning. She may be engaged in conversation, but I'm going to pull her out anyways. We have good news from our session this Tuesday evening. Many of you have had a chance to meet Joelle Truax over the course of this summer informally, but we have formally hired her as our director for youth ministry. The search committee looked at more than 20 different resumes. They had an opportunity to interview a couple of people in-house, and it was clear that Joelle had been called to us, and we're absolutely delighted. And to mark this occasion, she's even moved closer to us so that the commute won't be nearly as bad, and she'll have an opportunity to climb a few walls and have an opportunity to do more mission and to engage with our youth. Joelle, we're absolutely delighted to have you amongst us, and welcome. We'll do a formal installation in the fall, but I wanted you to know, and I wanted you to have a name with a face. So welcome, dear. Dan Trina, I understand you have a mission report for us. Please come forward. Jumbo, Swahili for hello. So after flying what seemed like forever and a day, we finally made it to the Instep Children's Orphanage. And Instep is from Galatians 5.22, and it says, if you live in the Spirit... Walk in step with the Spirit. So if anyone wanted to know what that came from. So we spent the first two weeks basically um, building a dormitory. We learned how to mix cement, 
and form columns and wrap wire and work with rebar, and it's all done by hand. We had 20 Kenyan workers that made $4 a day. The boss made 6 And we learned how to build construction techniques in Africa. But after you were done working, you still felt unfulfilled because you didn't have kid time. So we would go down to the, they called it the veranda, and 150 kids are there, and there's 60 lined up on one side of the table, 60 on the other side, and 30 babies in high chairs, and they would eat all their meals there. They would sing songs and pray and then eat their meals. And so we'd go around giving hugs and having dinner with the kids, and that was really the special time. And then after, um, I guess it was a couple days before we left, Dan Harrison ran a devotions, and he asked, which child have you connected with the most? And I didn't answer. But the next day I thought about it, and there's a boy there named Jackson who I ended up sponsoring, I really fell in love with. And so when I told the people that work there that Jackson's going to be the boy I'm going to sponsor, they said, do you guys know Jackson's story? And I said, no, I don't know. He goes, well, when Jackson was one, his father drove his mother out of the county, and then he abandoned the boy. He's got a three-year-old sister named Rebecca, and Rebecca, for two weeks, went out, got water from the mud puddles, fed him grass and mud water, and kept Jackson alive. So Jackson's one year old, comes to the orphanage weighing 11 pounds, and now five years later, he's just the healthiest, smartest, happiest kid. It's just amazing the work they're doing there. Then the last night we were there, they show a movie to the older kids, and we were watching Finding Nemo, just coincidentally, And um, so we have all these kids around us, but Jackson wasn't there because he's a kindergartner. So I asked one of the people if I could see where he lived. So they took me into a room. It's about a third the size of my bedroom. It's tiny. And there's 36 kids sleeping there. The bunks are three with two kids in each bed. And there's six of these, 36 kids in this tiny room. And that's why we built the dormitory. The need is amazing. The school, every year they take in 20 kids. They've been doing it for eight years. So they got 20 second graders and 20 first graders all the way down. Well, each year now they're going to need a new classroom and they're going to need dormitories. And the school is amazing. They're teaching these kids good Christian values. Jeff and Carla, the founders, their vision is to build or to raise the next generation of ethical, moral, Christian children. And these children will now become the leaders of Kenya, and they're doing a great job of it. The need is there. So if you ever wonder what your prayers and your money and your time and effort go to, it goes to building these dorms, it goes to building the school and the church, and it really goes to spending time with the children and raising a great batch of children. So we had a great time, we did some good work, and hopefully we can pray for the second, uh, the third group of people to come back next week. Thank you. Dan, with that rousing report, everybody's going to want to get on a plane. We are, of course, praying for those who are still there with Team 3. We're praying for good health for those who have returned, and we're praying for more ministry and mission to happen in miraculous ways. Thank you for the report. We have the Danews here this morning as a glorious treat, a two-for-one bang. Thank you very much, Steve and Ashley, for leading us in worship. And we have the opportunity to sing your favorites from the hymnal. Are there any things that you would like? Ooh, right away. Thank you, Ms. Drake. What would you like? 300. 300, which is? I don't have them memorized yet. We are all one in the spirit. I like that because we are. We are one in the spirit. Mm-hmm. How about we do first and last verse? We are one in the spirit. 
Good choice, good choice. Anybody else have a favorite this morning? Go for it, Mrs. Jennison. 738. What are we singing, my dear? Oh, Master, let me walk with thee. No running in the sanctuary, just walking. Let's do first and last, please. 738. Number 738, please. Oh, Master, let me walk with thee. First and last verse, please. What would you like this morning, dear? 825, and what is it, my dear? 825. Swing low, sweet chariot. First and last verse, please. Swing low, 825.
Ashley, please prepare us. While jazzy creatures of our God and King let us together join in our call to worship. How very good and pleasant it is when families live together in unity. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. In gratitude, let us worship God.
friends, please join me in our prayer of the day. We broadcast your glorious deeds, O God, and spread abroad the good news of the gospel. You have not forsaken your people, but promise your presence through the gift of the Spirit. In Christ you redeem us from a past that enslaves us and free us for a future of life lived in your love. Hear us now as we sing your praises and fill us with wisdom as we learn of your way. My friends, Paul tells us we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Recognizing our brokenness and rejoicing in God's mercy, let us lay our prayers at the throne of grace in confidence. Our source of deliverance, Christ, calls us to faith while we seek our own security. He teaches us to trust him, yet we don't take that risk. He expects total commitment, and we think in terms of percentage. Time after time, we turn our backs on your grace, serving our idols and forsaking our Christ. We rely on your promise in him to redeem us. We are dependent on him who can intercede for us. O God in Christ, have mercy upon us. Amen. Friends, we have this assurance that Jesus Christ came into the world to forgive sinners. Hear the good news and rejoice. We are forgiven. Hallelujah. Amen. friends. Our Old Testament lectionary has us telling the stories of the patriarchs and matriarchs that made up our common forbearance. And one of the things that I love about our stories is that they reveal how very truly dysfunctional every one of our families has always been and that we are made functional by God's grace. Here we are in the Joseph saga. We're going to learn a little bit more about what Joseph's brothers did to him and then how Joseph responded, again, out of God's grace. I invite you to hear God's word to you. And Joseph could no longer control himself before those who stood by him, that is, his brothers and those of the court. And he cried out, send everyone away from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, I'm Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him. So dismayed were they at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come closer to me. And they came closer. He said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. 
For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are five more years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive in it for many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not delay. You shall settle in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children, as well as your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. I will provide for you there, since there are five more years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have will not come to poverty. And now your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my own mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father how greatly that I am honored in Egypt and all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, while Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I imagine they had a lot to talk about, don't you think? I have the joy of welcoming our young people forward. Come on, Maddie, I know you're just jumping at the chance. I see lots of young people here this morning, and I'm going to make a special plea because you guys have been having so much fun in the front pews. Can I have our college students too, please? I see lots of you. Come on. College students or high school students, Ling Ling, come on. Come on, come on, come on. That's right, Mr. Wilborn, I need touchdown Jesus here. Come on. Hey, we love reunions, don't we? You get about five seconds before you all have to go off to college. (laughs) Nice tie, Mr. Kim. Hmm, very nice, very nice. Good morning. Good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning. We have twins in the house. Raise your hands. Twins in the house. Granddaughters in the house. This is awesome. I love it, I love it, I love it. I love it when grandparents bring grandkids to church. We got three sets of grandparents doing that faithfully. Thank you very much. Much appreciated. So the reason I wanted our college and high school students forward is because this might be a little bit uh, in need of your wisdom. Can you help me? Wisdom. Have you got wisdom yet? Get wisdom. Get it quickly. All right. For all of you, Do you have a dream to change the world for the better? Paige? You would like to be a doctor, and you're going to change the world for the better with your healing arts. I think that's grand. I think that's really important. I bet everybody up here, at one point or another, has had some kind of a dream to change the world for the better. That's why you guys do mission trips, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Makes a big difference. Well, Joseph, as you heard in our story this morning, or you might know from Sunday school or from what your parents and grandparents have told you in bedtime stories. Joseph was a dreamer, right? And he told those dreams to his brothers and to his family. And do you think his family liked some of those dreams that he was telling them? Not necessarily, right, Miss Wilborn? They found that a little bit obnoxious when he was talking about all these sheaves of wheat bowing down to his sheaf of wheat, right? Ugh. He was getting a little arrogant sometimes, but he had to mature. And he had dreams. And so his brothers, out of that not-so-nice appreciation, sold him into slavery. 
And then when they encountered one another again, if you had been the brother who had sold him off to slavery, what do you think you would have been doing? Yeah, and scared of what he was going to do, right? But Joseph said, no, no, don't be afraid. Don't worry. It's okay. You may have meant this for bad, but God meant it for good. He sent me before you to save life, to preserve life. There was a mission that he had to fulfill. So Joseph's dreams were God's way of talking to him about his mission in the world. We all have dreams. Do you guys dream? Do you have dreams? Do you have dreams in the daytime sometimes, William? Do you ever think about things in the day? Do they come to you? Some are called daydreams. That's right. You may not remember your night dreams, but sometimes we have daydreams, and that's God talking to us about what we have as a mission in the world. So if you ever find yourself thinking deeply about God's love for you, pay attention to it because we all have a mission in the world. If you've been paying attention to the news, you notice that this, this week we lost two luminaries in Hollywood. More of you probably recognize the voice of the genie from Aladdin. Robin Williams passed away. But many of your parents and grandparents might have noticed that Lauren Bacall died this week. She was Hollywood royalty, friends. More than three generations. She was active in Hollywood for 70 years. Talk about a marathon, Jeff. 70 years. And she knew that having been very early on identified for her talent, that she could use her incredible independence, because women at the time were not very independent, right? She was a groundbreaker. Here's one of the things that she said. Here's a test to find out whether your mission in life is complete. If you're still living, your mission's not complete yet. In other words, friends, we all have a mission. It's going to change over the course of our lives. Okay? Paige, I believe that you're going to be a doctor. But your mission may, at certain points, become a little nuanced. Right? And friends, your dreams are going to change as you grow up. Keep paying attention to them. And have fun filling out the mission that God has called you to and equipped you for. Shall we pray about it? Okay, grab an elbow, grab a hand. God in heaven, we give you thanks for the ways that you gift us, for the ways that you talk to us in our dreams, awake or asleep, and for the ways that you encourage us with a community of faith to follow those dreams and to live out the mission you have planted in our hearts. Bless us as we follow you. Amen. Well, have a great time following into the kingdom. Thank you, high schoolers and college students. God bless on your changing missions.
Paul continues to write to us and to the Romans. Hear God's word to you. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel? For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Just as you were once disobedient to God, but have now received mercy because of their disobedience, so they have now been disobedient in order that, by the mercy shown to you, they too may now receive mercy. For God has imprisoned all in disobedience, so that he may be merciful to all. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
We are so blessed to have you amongst us. We really are. Friends, you'll notice there's a small bio about the Danus in our bulletin, but I wanted to let you know that this week a mailing went out to our Christian education families, and next week you will have the good news in your mailboxes, sharing more information about how the Danus will be leading intergenerational choirs this fall. We are so lucky to have you doing that for us. So please join and be graced by this talent. We continue to hear from Jesus as he teaches us in Matthew. He's finished up with his parables, and now he's going to do some explaining. I invite you to hear God's word to you. Then he called the crowd to him and said to them, Listen and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but it is what comes out of the mouth that defiles. Then the disciples approached and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees took offense when they heard what you said? And he answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. And if one blind person guides another, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, Explain this parable to us. And he said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth enters the stomach and goes out into the sewer? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and that's what defiles. For out of the heart comes evil intentions, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, slander. Those are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile. Jesus left that place and went away to a district of Tyre and Sidon. Just then, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and started shouting, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. But he didn't answer at all. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, because she keeps shouting at us. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. He answered, It's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, Woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed instantly. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Jeff, you've got a lot of explaining to do in these parables, and I can't wait to hear your explanation. For those of you who had a chance last month to hear Jeff preach for us, we welcome back to the pulpit the Reverend Jeffrey Tyler with his inestimable inestimable experience and his wonderful grace. As you've already heard eloquently from his wife, Pem, they lead Bible study in their home on a regular basis. They do it compellingly, and they do it running it for the long haul. How many marathons have you run? About a dozen. Oh, my gosh. Anybody ever run one? Oh, my gosh. Way to go, Rochelle. You're up there. And, Ms. Jamie, what are you going to do this fall with your dad? You get to run a marathon with him. All right. I like this legacy. So he's already run one with David in the New York City Marathon. He's going to run this half marathon with Jamie this year, and then you've got to come back and run the other one so that he can run the other half, right? All right. This is good. We have a plan. Well, friends, strap in because we welcome to the pulpit the Reverend Jeffrey Tyler. 
Carrie, thank you, and thank you and Bruce for the opportunity to share again, and thank you everyone for coming out on another beautiful Sunday morning. Last month, I didn't take a drink of water at first, and really never found an opportunity after that to take it, so if you don't mind, I'll at least start there. So our topic today is Heart Matters. Carrie read two records in the Gospel of Matthew that we'd like to take a look at and share a few minutes with you this morning to note and to compare these two records and what they deal with. And then we'll talk a little bit about it. But these records, what we'd like to notice is who he's speaking to, uh, what is the approach that the people he's speaking to take toward him, what is his response, and what are the outcomes? And they're quite different in the two records. Now, the first record, they're both in Matthew 15, but the first record, in order to get a running start at what Carrie read, we have to back up, it was probably read last Sunday, but we have to back up to the context, because in Scripture, understanding Scripture so often has to do with context and understanding where we are. So the context here begins in verse 1, and it says, Then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem. So Jesus is up in Galilee. Remember, he's at his summer place. He's off in Cuca for the summer. He's in Galilee on the lake. But the scribes and the Pharisees, they come up from Jerusalem, and what they were saying their, their wonderful comment, their approach to Jesus was, hey, Jesus, why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? That's their opener. They probably hadn't read How to Win Friends and Influence People um, that particular day. So their opener is, why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. They didn't wash their hands before they had lunch and Every mother knows, every kid knows, even when you're, when you're on vacation at the lake, you've got to wash your hands before you eat. So that's the opener. Now, so Jesus starts, he's speaking to who? To the Pharisees. Now, who are the Pharisees? Well, the Pharisees were one of the two major sects at that time. Um, but the Pharisees really came into their own after the Babylon, Babylonian captivity, The Pharisees were a group, they believed in essence that the reason that Israel had gone off into the Babylonian captivity was because they had sinned and they had failed to remain faithful to the law, faithful to the Torah. And so when they came back from the Babylonian captivity, they made it their their dedication, their mission, if you will, to see to it that Israel would never fall off from the Torah Again, And so they began to build a hedge. Now, recognize that the law, when we think of the law, we often think of it as Ten Commandments. Do you know there's over 600 commandments in the law, the Torah? So it isn't like there wasn't enough already. But what the Pharisees did, they began, and Pharisees, they would build a hedge. So, for example, let's say this represented the ark. Let's say a part of the law, and I'm just making this up. But let's say the law said, don't ever touch the ark. So the Pharisees said, well, if we make a hedge that says, don't ever come within five feet of the ark, 
then we'll make sure that you never touch the ark. So they go, you know, if it's five feet, why don't we make another fence around the law, a hedge of the law? Why don't we say you never come within 10 feet of the ark? Because if you never got within 10 feet, you could never get to the ark. You could never sin. Do you see where the... So the Pharisees started with something good, but over the, which was the design was to try and keep Israel faithful to the law. But over the centuries... This had become, in addition to the 600 laws of the commandment, an enormous amount of oral tradition that really didn't have anything to do with the law. So this is where they are, and this is when they come up at Galilee, and they say, Why do your your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders, for they wash not their hands when they eat bread? Now, Jesus' response was, he answered and said, Well, let me ask you something. Why do you also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? In other words, why are you transgressing the commandment of God by what you have laid out in the oral law? And then he gives an example. He says, for God commanded, saying, honor your father and mother. Now, that's pretty simple, isn't it? That's a straightforward command, honor your father and mother. That's one of the ten. So he says, this is what God commanded, and he that curses father or mother, let him die the death. These are both quoted quotes uh, out of Exodus, part of the Torah of the law. But you say, this is Jesus to the Pharisees, you say, whoever shall say to his father or his mother, it is a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, and honor not his father or his mother, he shall be free Thus you have made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. What was he saying? The commandment was very simple. Honor your mother and father. That's a pretty simple one. Just do it. What the oral tradition over the years had said, what the Pharisees were saying, look, instead of honoring your father and mother and helping them out and giving to them as they get older, if you take those resources to honor your father and mother, but instead you give them to the temple, you give them as a gift to the treasury of the temple, then you don't have to honor your father and mother with that gift. You can simply give it to us, to the treasury of the temple. That's what their tradition said, and this is what Jesus called them out on. And what he said is, you make the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. Then he says, in verse 7, he says, you hypocrites, well does I, did Isaiah prophesy of you. So now he's, he's quoting Isaiah. Jesus knew the scriptures pretty well, uh, I would say, and he loved Isaiah. So he, here's the quote. Here's what he's quoting to the Pharisees. This people draws nigh unto me with their mouth and honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Their mouth was saying the right thing. Their lips may have been saying the right thing. But their heart is far from me. This is what he spoke to them. And then it says, he's still quoting Isaiah. He says, but in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrine the commandments of men. Okay. So in Isaiah's time, Isaiah said to the people of Israel, he was saying to the Israelites, hey, you worship me with your mouth, you worship me with your lips, but your heart's not there and you're teaching for commandments of God, the commandments of men. Jesus said, like in Isaiah's time to Israel, so you, the Pharisees, are also doing the same thing. You're 
you're teaching the precepts of men. Like what? Like you got to wash before you eat is a precept of men, but you're teaching it as if it is the word of God. You mouth the right, the right words, but the heart was far from me. That's what he said. Okay. So that's his response to the Pharisees. Now, that brings us to verse 10 that Carrie read where it says, and he called the multitudes. So he's been speaking to the Pharisees. The people are all around. The multitudes are around. And now he turns and says to the people who have been watching this interaction between he and the Pharisees, the multitudes, he calls the multitude and he said unto them, hear and understand. Not that which goeth into the mouth defiles a man or a person, but that which comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man or a person. So that's what he says to the multitudes. So he talks to the Pharisees. He's very specific. He talks to the multitudes. You know what the multitudes probably walked away with? Huh? <laughs> what are you talking about? So, so uh, but they don't say anything, which is this, is, this is pretty common, but that was his comment. Look, it's not what goes into the mouth. It's what comes out of the mouth. He goes on. Now first. 12 says, then came his disciples. Remember, the disciples were the one, John tells us, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. They're the ones who were hungry to know, what is he talking about? So they come around, and the first thing they said, they said unto him, hey, um, did you know, Jesus, did you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard what you said to the multitude? I think they were offended. Jesus was, oh, really? Oh. I, oh, oh, my goodness. Here's Jesus' response. His answer was, uh, he said, boys, I think they were all boys, boys and girls, people. He said, every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted shall be rooted up. Leave them alone. They're blind leaders of the blind. If the blind, so he's calling them blind. And he said they're leaders of the blind. And then he has this quote that we hear commonly today. He says, if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall in the ditch. That's a Jesus quote, even though we, we know it and we hear it all the time in the English language today. So that was his response about um, that they were offended, that they might be offended. Now, in verse 15, then answered Peter and said unto him, Declare unto us this parable. Don't you love Peter? There, that's, that's the way to do it. That's what we looked at a month ago is if we don't understand what it's saying, what do we do? Well, we, we, why don't we go to the source and ask, what are you talking about anyway? And Peter, never one to be shy, you know, they probably put him, the disciples, go ahead, Peter, you ask. So Peter, <laughs> Peter says, declare unto us his parable. What are you talking about? Okay, so Jesus says, in the King James it says, are you also yet without understanding? Now, the New International Version says, the essence of it, it says, are you still so dull, is what NIV says. So Jesus, so whatever the essence of it, Jesus is kind of, come on, do you not get this? But he says in verse 17, do you not understand that whatsoever enters in at the mouth goes into the belly and is cast into the draught. So, in other words, you eat something, it goes in the stomach, and it goes out of the body. It's pretty simple. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man or the person. For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts. And then he he expands on that. 
like murders, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, blasphemies. Now, those sound something like some of the commandments, don't they? They sound like the commandments, stealing and lying and all of those things. He says, these are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands defiles not a man. Okay. So he explains to the disciples what he's talking about. So here's, let me summarize. Jesus explained that the things which come out of a person's mouth and defile that person were the things from a person's heart. The scribes and Pharisees were evidently more concerned with the defilement from things that they put into their mouths than they were the defilement that came forth out of their mouths from their hearts And they made those concerns doctrine, and that's what Jesus Christ confronted that day. Jesus was concerned about heart matters. Now, before we look at, well, how does that apply, let's consider the second record, which follows immediately from this one. Let's consider this first, because right from there, it says, Then Jesus went thence, and he departed into the coasts of Tyre and Sidon. Now, Tyre and Sidon a little farther up north than the Sea of Galilee. This would be sort of like Lake Ontario. This is on the border of the Mediterranean. Tyre and Sidon. Now, let me ask you this. Was Tyre and Sidon, was that part of Israel? Was that part of Judea? No, these were Gentile towns. Tyre and Sidon were up on the border. They were Phoenician towns. It doesn't say that he went into the town, but it does say he went up at the coast. So he went north. He's going north of Galilee. He's somewhere on the coast. But these are Gentile towns, and it says, behold, verse 22, a woman at Canaan came out of the same coast. So she was a, and other other gospels tell us, she was a Tyre Phoenician. She was a Gentile. It says the same, uh, uh, Matthew tells us she was a, a woman from Canaan. She was a Gentile. She was not of Israel. That's a big deal in those times. She's a Gentile. She came out of the same coast. Now, Let's watch how she approached Jesus. It says, She cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. This was a woman, a Gentile woman, a Canaanite woman, who had a need. And the need was that she had a daughter, and the daughter was possessed with a devil spirit. And she approached Jesus because she felt Jesus could deliver her daughter. That's the way she approached Jesus. Now, how did he answer? Verse 23 says he answered her not a word. He didn't even respond to her request. Not only did he not respond, the disciples came and besought him, saying, send her away, for she cries after us. So there's the loving Christian thing to do. Here are the disciples always right It's like, Jesus, can you, she is so loud, she's, you know, she's too loud on the beach, we can't even get any peace and quiet, could you just send her away, because she keeps crying after us. Now Jesus responds, he answered and said, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Jesus' earthly ministry at that time was to Israel. The Messiah had been promised to Israel. His earthly ministry at that time was to Israel, but here he was up in the coasts of Tyre and Sidon. 
Mark tells us he was trying to get away. He still might have been getting, getting away. He was actually, the, the timing was he was trying to deal with the death of John the Baptist with his disciples. He hadn't been able to get away. And he may have been trying again to get far away. But this woman somehow, this Canaanite woman, this Gentile, hears that he's there. She has a need, and the need is for her daughter. And she's willing to do whatever it takes to to be in front of him to ask for his help to deliver her daughter. Now, so Jesus' response is, I am not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, this woman, she was resilient. She did not, she not only, she had nothing going for her. Remember, the, we, she was a Gentile. The disciples had told her, get lost. They'd asked Jesus to tell her to get lost. Jesus himself said, I wasn't, I'm sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I'm not sent to the Gentiles at this time. It did not dissuade her because she had a need. Her heart was there, and she believed that Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, could deliver her daughter. So she came and she worshipped him, saying these three wonderful words, Lord, help me. That was her plea. That was her, that's the way she approached Jesus Christ. The Pharisees came criticizing over the disciples not washing hands. This Canaanite, this Gentile woman, a woman who had nothing and, and, and every right not to be there, but her heart was, Lord, help me. She had a need. She felt Jesus Christ could deliver her. Listen to his response. Jesus answered and said, It is not meat to take the children's bread and cast it to dogs. Jesus, this is another, it's a figure of speech, an implied comparison. Jesus was comparing children and Israel and also comparing dogs and the Gentiles. And Jesus' response to this Gentile woman, he said, It is not meat to take the children, in other words, Israel's bread. It is not okay to take Israel's bread and to cast it to the dogs, in other words, the Gentiles. He said, it's not okay to take Israel's bread, in other words, the delivering, the deliverance and the healing that, that he's bringing to Israel, it's not okay to pass that to the Gentiles. And this woman her response, you talk about somebody with a heart of gold and a heart for God, someone who was not taking no for an answer, and also someone with a quick wit, because her response right back, and this is, remember, this is Jesus. I mean, come on. If he was sitting right up here up front this morning with Carrie, how much back talk would we be giving, you know, on Jesus on any given day? This woman, no, she, she comes right back, She takes his comparison and she says, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Going, okay, I'll take that, that this was for Israel and not for the Gentiles. But you know, even the dogs eat from the crumbs of the master's table. And I want to tell you, there's only a few times in the Gospels that it talks about Jesus was amazed. Jesus was fascinated by someone's response This was one of those times because what Jesus, he answered and he said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. That was her response to this Gentile woman 
who came back who would not take no for an answer. She believed that the Lord could help her, and she would not take no. And we can learn a lot from her in that regard. And so Jesus said, great is thy faith. Faith is the word, Greek word pistis. It's, it's believing. It's faith. He said, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. In other words, you believe it. You've got the promise. You believe that I, you know, that I can deliver your daughter. Then be it unto you according to your faith, according to your believing. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour, meaning her daughter was healed immediately. That daughter was healed, uh, was healed by the power of God because this woman stood fast in her faith, in her believing. These are matters of the heart. This is what what can we what can what can we summarize? From these two records. What is the message of the gospel in these two records? Well, I think we could probably find this all over the Bible, but maybe one of the most succinct places is a record in 1 Samuel 16, 7, and it deals with the ordination of David when David was called. And it says in verse 7, it says, But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not unto his countenance, nor on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. For man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. That's the message of Matthew 15. Why is the heart so important? Because that's where God looks. We've, people look on the outward appearance. The Pharisees were concerned about the outward appearance. They were looking at whether we're washing hands or whether we're not washing hands. Jesus' response was the heart matters. He quotes Isaiah, their lips, they worship me with their mouth, their lips, but their heart is far from me. God's looking for the heart, that Gentile woman who had nothing from the out, from the outside, the outer appearance. She was not even worthy to be in his presence. And yet her heart was that, Lord, help me. You can deliver me. That's the message of Matthew 15, that people look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Now, how can we apply? What is the application of that for us? Well, it's all over the Bible, really. The heart matters are all over the Bible. Here's a couple of them. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it, out of the heart, that's what Jesus taught them in Matthew 15. It's out of the heart are the issues of life. So what is the heart in the Bible? You know, today we, we sort of think of head and heart. We say the head, you know, it's the heart, but then the heart is the emotion. But biblically, the heart in, in the Bible, the heart was your whole being, everything you are. It, it's the center of your personal life, the seat of you, what we call character all of your being, everything about you. The emotional side in the Bible usually is put a little farther down. It's in the the bowels or the emotion. So here it says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it, out of the heart, are the issues of life. That's why heart matters, because it's out of the heart that the real issues of life are. Or what are some of the big issues? What are some examples? Well, here's, here's a couple. Here's a couple examples. Um, let's look at the first commandment. What about the first commandment? That would be a big issue. So the first commandment, Matthew says, 
Jesus said when he was asked that question, what's the first and great commandment? He says, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy what? Heart, with all thy heart. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. That's the first and great commandment. So loving God with all of our heart, that's a heart matter. Have you ever asked yourself, what's the greatest sin a person can commit? You know, there's a lot of speculation. What would be the greatest sin a person can commit? Well, if we consider it this way, what's the greatest commandment? The greatest commandment is to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. By sheer logic, what would be the greatest sin? To break the greatest commandment, to not love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to put something ahead of God rather than loving God. He wants our all. That's a heart matter. Well, what's another one? We might be familiar with Proverbs chapter 3. It says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And lean not into thine own understanding in all thy ways. Acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Trusting is an issue of the heart. To love God is a heart matter. To trust him. How are we to trust him? With all our heart. With everything we have. With all of our being. With the best that we can. That's what that Gentile woman did that day with Jesus. She gave it her all. She gave it her best. And that's all God asked for is the heart. He looks on the heart. Okay, so love is an issue of the heart. Trust is an issue of the heart. How about faith? The Gentile woman says, great is thy faith. What about believing? Is that a matter of the heart? Well, it is. Romans 10. These are some familiar verses, but Romans 10 tells us. Here's, we'll get a running start. Romans 10 says, but the righteousness which is of faith talking about this faith, speaks on this wise. So the righteousness of faith is speaking. That's who's now talking, the righteousness which is of faith. And and the speaking is this. Don't say in your heart, who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who shall descend from the deep, that is to bring Christ again from the dead. But what does it say? It says the word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart, that is the word of faith or believing which we preach. What is it trying to say here? What it's trying to say, and this is a quote, this is very similar to a quote in Deuteronomy uh, written a long time ago in the law. It basically says, look, this word of faith, the word of faith that we believe, it, it's not far away where you can't find it. God isn't somewhere where you can't find him. He said, we don't have to go up to heaven, try to send somebody up to heaven and go find the word of faith and the word of God. We don't have to send somebody down to the bottom of the sea. It's not buried in the depths of the sea. It's right here. It says the word is nigh thee. It's, it's right here. It's right around us. It's right in front of us. The word is right here. And it says the word in thy mouth and in thy heart, the word of faith. We're trying to get our mouths and our hearts lined up, our confession and our heart lined up with the words of God in the scriptures, and this is that word. It says, the word is nigh thee, it's near you, even in your mouth and in your heart. The word of faith which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That's a heart matter. Believing is a heart matter, because then it says, for with the heart man believeth. That's, believing comes from 
the heart. Believing regarding Jesus Christ as a heart matter. It comes from the heart. With the heart man believes unto righteousness. With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. We line up our mouth and our heart with the confession and the scripture of God's word. That's what it's saying. And for, for, for salvation, these are the two criteria. Confessing with our mouth the Lord Jesus, believing in our heart that God raised him from the dead. It says, for the scripture says, whosoever believes on him shall not be ashamed. Doesn't John 3.16 tell us that? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth on him, where does believing come from? The heart is believing with all your heart, shall not perish but have everlasting life. For the scripture says, whosoever believes on him shall not be be ashamed, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. The same Lord over all is rich to all that call upon him. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That Gentile woman called on the name of the Lord. She was delivered. Now, saved in the Bible is deliverance, and there are different types of deliverance. There's physical deliverance. There's mental deliverance. There's this deliverance of salvation. There's deliverance from the wrath that's to come. But all of those are tied up in Jesus Christ. He is our deliverance. He is our salvation. And here it says... Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved or delivered. Romans goes on to say, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are you going to call on someone if you haven't believed on him? How shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? How can you believe in someone that you haven't heard about? How can you call on someone if you don't believe in them? And then it says, And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Now, I'm not asking you to check Bruce or Carrie's feet one day, but I do know that the scriptures say that the feet are beautiful of those who preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. This beginning of salvation, this whole record of salvation in Romans, begins with God and his son Jesus Christ sending others to speak, to preach the gospel concerning Jesus Christ, the message of salvation. And it says when they faithfully do that, when when it's faithfully preached, then people can hear And if they hear, they can have an opportunity to believe on him. They can believe what they hear. And if they believe on him, then they can call him, call on him as Lord. They can confess with their mouth him as Lord, believe that God raised him from the dead. This is the line of action toward salvation for people. And this is what that deliverance is what that woman, the Gentile woman, did in the Gospels. Okay, so when we have salvation, the Bible tells us it's Christ in you, among many other things. You and I now have that hand to reach out and to touch people with the love of Christ. And Ephesians tells us and exhorts us as Christians that Christ may dwell in your hearts by 
faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. To know his love, to know the touch of the master's hand, that's really the greatness of life. This is what that record in the Gospels talked about. I'd like to close with one of my favorite poems that I think represents the record in Matthew, The Heart Matters. It's the poem, The Touch of the Master's Hand. "'Twas battered and scarred, and the auctioneer thought it scarcely worth his while to waste much time on the old violin, but held it up with a smile. "'What am I bidding, good folks?' he cried. "'Who'll start the bidding for me? "'A dollar, a dollar, then two, only two, two dollars. "'Who'll make it three? Three dollars once, three dollars twice, going for three, but no. From the room far back, a gray-haired man came forward and picked up the bow. Then wiping the dust from the old violin and tightening the loose strings, he played a melody pure and sweet as a caroling angel sings. The music ceased and the auctioneer, with a voice that was quiet and low, said, what am I bid for the old violin? And he held it up with the bow. A thousand dollars, who will make it two? Two thousand, who will make it three? Three thousand once, three thousand twice, going and gone, said he. The people cheered, but some of them cried, we do not quite understand. What changed its worth? Swift came the reply, the touch of a master's hand. And many a man with life out of tune and battered and scarred with sin is auctioned cheap to the thoughtless crowd, much like the old violin. A mess of pottage, a glass of wine, a game, and he travels on. He's going once, he's going twice, he's going and almost gone. But the master comes and the foolish crowd can never quite understand the worth of a soul and the change that's wrought by the touch of the master's hand. Aren't we glad we came this morning? Amen. Thank you, Jeff. Recognizing that heart matters and that we have been laid into our hearts a grace that we can never repay, let us offer with gratitude the first fruits, dedicating them with this prayer. There are those who would be glad with the crumbs from your table, O God. We have received your gifts in abundance. Make us mindful of those who are needy as we bring you our tithes and our offerings. Use them to ease the pain of those who are suffering. As we seek to serve others, even imperfectly, use us to fulfill your will.